My name is Brandon, and I'm the, I'm the pastor here, and we are in a series called um, Eyewitness. And we have been, over the past few weeks, we have been looking at Jesus um, from the perspective of those that knew him best. Um, and we find these perspectives, we, we find these eyewitness accounts in the book of Luke. Um, and Luke actually opens, um, Luke is the, the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And Luke actually opens this book um, speaking from a former skeptic's point of view and, and now being changed through these eyewitness accounts. This is what Luke says in chapter 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. And Luke is referring to Jesus. He's talking about Jesus here. He says, they use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So that's who he's writing to. That was his original audience. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So that's where we kind of get this idea of for this series. We're looking at eyewitness accounts of Jesus. But before we do that, I want to, before we dive into the perspective we're going to look at today, I want to read a little bit of the background of the person whose perspective we're going to be looking at today. Now, this is to kind of set the stage so you know who this person is. John chapter 8 says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. First John chapter 3, he has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of him. John chapter 10, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Isaiah chapter 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth. You who destroyed the nations of the world, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you'll be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Does anybody have an idea of our witness today? Who is it? Satan. It's Satan. We have this incredible story in Luke chapter 4 of the devil tempting Jesus. And what makes this story even more amazing is the fact that there is only one person who could have corroborated and shared this story and passed it down, and that is Jesus himself. Jesus was the only one there. Jesus is the only person that knew this happened, and so Jesus is the only one that could have shared this story with his followers to pass it down to generation to generation to generation. And we learn very quickly in this story in Luke chapter 4 that Satan has a playbook when it comes to temptation. Satan is going to try to tempt us and Jesus in three ways. The first way is this, lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. The second is lust of the eyes. And the third way is he's going to try to tempt you with pride. And we're going to unpack those in a little bit. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 confirms this very thing. John writes, For the world offers, the enemy, Satan, offers only a craving for physical pleasure, right? Lust of the flesh, a craving for everything we see, lust of the eyes, 
and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. That's how the enemy attacks us. That's how the enemy tempts us. And even if we go all the way back to the first temptation, right? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's see if Satan, is this how he worked even in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? And what we find is that this is the same way he tempted Eve and Adam. The lust of the flesh. The woman heard that the food was good. She wanted to try it. It also says that she saw that it was beautiful. She saw that the tree and the fruit looked beautiful. Lust of the eyes. And it also says she wanted to know both good and evil. She was tempted with pride to know a little bit more. I want a little bit more. Now we, we come to Luke chapter four, 4 and the stage is set. If you guys open up your Bibles about three-fourths of the way to, through your Bible in what's called the New Testament, you can go there on your Bible app or grab a Bible on the seat in front of you. It's also going to be on the screens. But Luke chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 sets the stage for what's about to happen. And it says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and he was led by the spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and Jesus ate nothing all that time and he became very hungry now a couple of opening thoughts for you to chew on before we get into the temptations the first is this you can be led by the spirit find yourself filled with the spirit and still end up in the wilderness. Right? You can find yourself filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and still end up in the wilderness. The, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Just because you choose to follow the way of Jesus does not mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're always going to have this mountaintop experience where you feel like everything is good. Everything is great. There are going to be times where the Spirit is going to lead us to places we don't want to go. And our job is to posture our hearts to receive and to learn no matter what the landscape looks like. So that's the first thought for you to chew on. The second is this. We see that Satan is opportunistic. Satan is opportunistic. Satan, Satan is not all-powerful. I want to make that very clear. Satan is not all-powerful. There is one being in this universe that is all-powerful, and that is God himself. That's it. Not only that, but Satan does not know all things. Satan doesn't know everything, but what Satan sees here is an opportunity that the man that's been claiming to be the son of, the God, son of God has gone out into the wilderness and is choosing to not eat and is weak. Perfect. I'm going to seize this opportunity. I see an opportunity in front of me to go and tempt this guy that's, that's weak. In a weak point, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tempt him. And Satan attempts to tempt Jesus using the same threefold strategy he's been using on human beings since the dawn of time. All the way back with Adam and Eve. And he tries to use the same three tactics 
on us. And so now that the stage is set a little more, we kind of understand where we're at, what the landscape is. Let's dive into what we learn about Jesus through these temptations. And the first temptation is this lust of the eyes, what you want. Lust of the eyes, what you want. Chapter four of Luke. Just leave your Bibles open there. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our morning. Verses 1 to 3, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now Jesus has been fasting and not eating for the past 40 days in the wilderness. He's tired. He's hungry. And what does Satan do? He goes straight for one of his weaknesses as a human being, something we all need, something we all struggle with. Some of you might now, right now, might be feeling it, hunger. He goes straight for, straight for hunger. And maybe a few of you, you might remember in, in January, we, we did a 21-day um, time of fasting as a church back in January. It was awesome. A lot of, a lot of you practiced fasting for the first time, and we, we kind of taught on it, and we worked our way through what does it mean to fast, what does it look like to fast. And I, I remember maybe some of you were this way too. Those first few days, man, I was hungry. Like, I found myself craving things I never thought I'd crave. Like, I was craving just vegetables. And I never crave vegetables. I'm like, give me some kale. Like, I'd settle for just some kale, maybe even some spinach. Like, and I never want that. But I was so hungry, I just had these cravings. And what does Satan do as Jesus is probably feeling these hunger pains? He goes right for Jesus' need. Right for this weakness as a human being, this hunger. Now, what I find so fascinating is there's nothing inherently wrong about creating bread from this stone. There's, there's nothing wrong with a loaf of bread. There's nothing wrong with the act of changing the, the stone into bread. That's not what, what's evil, and that's not what Satan was really after. What Satan really cared about was Jesus' heart. That's what Satan was trying to get at. He was trying through this temptation to get Jesus to choose what he wanted, what his flesh wanted, over what, Jesus, what God wanted in his life. And maybe you've felt that too. You've, you've felt that temptation come your way before, what you want, the lust of the flesh, a new car, a new promotion, more money, a bigger house, a, a vacation home, all of these different things. And and here's what's crazy. Those things are not inherently bad. There's nothing wrong with a new car. It's not evil. There's nothing wrong with a new house. There's nothing wrong with more money or more influence. There's nothing wrong with those things. Where it gets tricky is what is your motive behind those things? Why do you want those things? James chapter 4 verse 3 says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You want to satisfy what you want. It's about what you want, not what God wants. And Jesus sees right through this temptation. He sees right to the heart of what the enemy is trying to do. And he responds in verse 4 of Luke chapter 4. He says, but Jesus told him no. 
The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. There's a scholar um, named David Guzik, and he puts it this way. What Satan said made sense. Why starve yourself to death? But what is written makes even more sense. Jesus reminded Satan of biblical truth, that every word of God is more important than the very bread we eat. And what Satan had not expected is that even though Jesus may have been starving for food, he was not starving for the Spirit of God. And this morning, I want to ask you, do you have a full belly but an empty spirit? This morning, do you have a full belly but an empty spirit? And if so, you're an easy target. If so, you are ripe for the pickings of the enemy. You're ready to be tempted. So what do we learn from Jesus' response? Well, honestly, it's pretty simple. What I love is there isn't some crazy supernatural battle that happens here between Jesus and Satan. It's not something that only the Son of God could do. He doesn't bring down fire from heaven and, and smite the enemy in that moment. No, that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he just quotes Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 to be exact. And that's something that every single one of us in this room has access to. This is God's word. Inspired by him. It's 66 books that are written to give us a playbook to help us navigate through life. It's absolute truth. It helps us better understand who God is. It helps us better understand who his son is Jesus. It shows us all what God has done to rescue us, his creation. And yet for so many of us, we open it for 45 minutes on the Sunday and we stick it back on our shelf. We call it good. And yet there's so much more here. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word. How do you hide something? You spend time with it. You tuck it away. You store it. You memorize it. And what we know about Jesus in this moment is that he had been hiding God's word in his heart. He had been preparing by reading God's word, memorizing it, letting it dwell inside of him so that when or if a temptation came his way, he was ready to respond with God's word. And with this, Satan recognized, okay, this, this isn't going to work. This temptation, I thought this would be a little easier. Let's go to the next one. And that brings us to the second temptation, which is lust of the eyes, what you see. Luke chapter 4, we'll keep going, verses 5 to 7. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Now, what we know from geography, first of all, is the world is not flat. And there is no mountain that you could take somebody up on where you could see all of these kingdoms, right? And so what we can kind of, what, what scholars kind of deduct from this and, and what we can kind of deduct, deduct from this is that this was more of a vision, that Satan brings Jesus into this vision where he's showing him all of these kingdoms. And what's so interesting is this is, 
this experience, this temptation is, is very real. And the craftiness of the devil is on full display. Because Satan isn't lying when he says these are my kingdoms. In fact, John chapter 12 says this. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And Satan claims, listen, I can give you all of these kingdoms. I have authority over all of these kingdoms. And Jesus doesn't deny that. Jesus, in this moment, does not say, actually, Satan, that's not true. Jesus doesn't deny that. So why would this have been such an incredible temptation? Well, because right now, Jesus, he knew his, his mission, his goal was to bring all of the kingdoms of the earth back to God, to win these kingdoms over. And right now, he has an opportunity to rule these kingdoms, and he doesn't even have to go to the cross. Something only Jesus knew. Jesus knew what the cross would bring. He knew what it would, it would take to do this. Satan is offering Jesus everything on a silver platter without the suffering that would come with the cross, something we're going to talk about in just a couple weeks at Easter. He's offering Jesus everything without the pain that would come with God's plan. He's offering Jesus a shortcut, and Jesus sees it. Jesus sees the opportunity to seize these kingdoms and not have to go through the suffering of the cross. And maybe Satan's done this with you too, where the temptation was right in front of you. You could see it. You could, see, you could see the opportunity to, to, to slander your coworker and move up a little bit in your job, and they'd never know it was you. You can see the opportunity to maybe make a little extra money in an unethical way or maybe take a little bit of money and nobody knows. You, you see the opportunity that you're on this business trip and there's, you know, there's, your spouse would never know. There's an opportunity right in front of you. Nobody will ever know about it. You see this opportunity you see how your friends or your family members are living way better than you on Instagram or Facebook, and now all you do is you compare yourself to them because of this temptation, this see, what you see right in front of you. And if we're not careful, these temptations can ensnare us and trap us, and we can lose sight of God's eternal plan because we choose to take what we see right in front of us. Satan wasn't lying in this moment. I know he's called the father of lies, but he's not lying in this moment. He could have given Jesus authority over all of these kingdoms, but Satan knew it, that if Jesus took that, if Jesus accepted, his eternal mission could not be accomplished. He would have gotten Jesus to settle for a cheap substitute. So this morning, I want to challenge you, don't sacrifice the eternal life Jesus is offering for the temporary satisfaction of what the world offers. Jesus is offering you eternal life. He's offering you a life of abundance, a, a rich and satisfying life. We, we read later in John chapter 10, verse 10. Don't settle for a cheap substitute. And I, I, I read this. When we go to Jesus' response, let, let's go to that. Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Like, I can't imagine how frustrated Satan probably was in this moment where he's like, man, these have worked 
for all of human history. And this guy has just thwarted my two best temptations. Like, I, I don't know how to navigate this. And Jesus is reminding himself as a human being and Satan at this moment, worshiping and serving the Lord far outweighs anything you may offer me. And again, where is Jesus responding from? Scripture. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus knew his mission. He knew his purpose. And he wasn't going to let a shortcut stop that. Even though the pain and the suffering he would endure would be tremendous, he trusted God's plan for his life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why Jesus didn't take the shortcut later. But as Satan tempts you with shortcuts, which he will, he will tempt you with shortcuts, I challenge you, memorize Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That's the enemy's purpose. So when you see that temptation in front of you, when you see that shortcut in front of you, that does not line up with God's word, that does not line up with how Jesus lived his life. It may look appetizing, but I want you to remember that the purpose of that is to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to Jesus' purpose for you. To give them a rich, satisfying life. That's Jesus' purpose for you. So the devil being frustrated, we now get to the final temptation, the third temptation, the pride of life. Or what you get. Luke chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. It says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, which I, I was, we, we were just back here, and Tim pointed out to me, um, just imagine, you've probably had moments in your life where somebody said, hey, if you're good at basketball, show me. If you're good at this, like, oh, you say you're a whiz at Excel, show me. That's my wife, by the way. She's really good at Excel. If you're a whiz at Excel, show me. And then what does she do? Pulls out a spreadsheet. She's like, look at these lookups I can do. Look at these formulas, right? It's, there's this temptation as human beings, this pride that fills us when somebody says, if you are this, why don't you prove it? So the, the flesh, Jesus' humanity in this moment, Satan is challenging it, saying, if you are the Son of God, prove it. Jump off. Now here's where it gets even crazier. For the Scriptures say, this is Satan. For the Scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So twice to this point, Satan has tempted Jesus, and what has Jesus done? He's responded with scripture, and so what does Satan do in the third temptation? I know this stuff too. You want to quote scripture at me? I'll quote it back, and Satan quotes Psalm 91. Like This isn't made up. Satan is literally quoting scripture in this moment. And here is Jesus standing on the high point of the temple, which there was actually a ledge built on the temple. It was about four to 500 feet off the ground on the temple. And so most scholars, when they, when they read this, they believe that's where Jesus and Satan were. And he's standing in this moment. And, and he can prove 
to all of the people below, he actually is the Messiah. Because when he jumps off, he's going to be fine. He has this moment. And here's, I found this through a little bit of research. Uh, a guy named, a scholar named Norval Geldenhuis. Great name. Next kid, that's his name, okay? He says this. The ancient Jewish writing Pesikta Rabbatai records a traditional belief. Get ready for this. That the Messiah would show himself to Israel standing on the roof of the temple. If Jesus did what Satan suggested, it would fulfill the messianic expectation of that day. People were actually expecting this. Satan's temptation is a whole new level. His understanding of scripture and who this Messiah would be is a whole new level. But Satan's power is limited. I want you to remember this. Satan's power is limited. He does not push Jesus off. Satan, Satan doesn't push Jesus off in this moment. He suggests Jesus jump off. If you are the son of God, jump. Satan does not make you resist or disobey God. He suggests it. So the next time you find yourself living in sin, you can't blame Satan. You can't say, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He's opportunistic. He saw an opportunity and he chose to tempt you. And in that moment, you chose to disobey God. He doesn't push Jesus off. Not only is he suggesting to Jesus to jump off, he's suggesting using Scripture. See, Satan knows Scripture too. Don't forget that he was in heaven. He is a fallen angel. He knows Scripture too, and he knows how to twist it to sound good. In fact, to quote David Guzik again, he says, Sadly, men, many people will accept anyone who quotes a Bible verse as if they taught God's truth. But the mere use of Bible words does not necessarily convey the will of God. And how do you know if it was conveyed the right way? How do you know if what I'm even speaking up here is truth? You have to open God's word. You have to study it. You have to treasure it in your heart. You have to soak in it. You have to seek to better understand. And sadly, there are many people that stand in a pulpit or on a stage and say, for the scriptures say, but then they do not preach truth. And there are many consumer Christians that sit in a crowd or in an audience or listen, and they don't check. They just believe it. It's like your Facebook articles and you scroll and you read an article and it's like, this has to be true. But we don't check. <laughs> we just blindly believe. You have to open up God's word. Don't be consumer Christians. Be curious Christians. Open up your Bible for yourself and seek the truth for yourself. What does God's word actually say? Did it line up with what Pastor Brandon said this morning? If it does, then it was truth. If it does not, let's remember that Brandon's a human and makes mistakes sometimes. Please. 
Don't be consumer Christians. And Jesus has been learning and, and asking questions. Some of you might remember a few weeks ago we talked about Luke chapter 2, verse 46. It says this, Jesus has been lost for a few days and Mary and Joseph are trying to find him. They go back to the temple and it says three days later they finally discovered him in the temple. What was he doing? He was sitting among the religious leaders and teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Jesus was hearing things, and then he was saying, well, does this line up with God's word? Let me ask, let me, I want to ask some questions about that. I want to follow up about that. He was learning and asking questions. And so now here's Satan tempting his pride, saying, if you are the son of God, prove it. And what's so funny to me is Satan is tempting Jesus with the very thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven in the first place. Isaiah chapter 14, it says this, For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to the lowest depths. This pride is the very reason Satan got kicked out of heaven in the first place. And had Jesus done this, had Jesus in this moment jumped off the ledge and been saved by angels, as Scripture says, he would have probably gained the reputation of Messiah. People were looking for it. People probably would have said, this guy, he's, got, he's probably the son of God. And yet, listen to Jesus' response, even with this shortcut in front of him. Verse 12. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, I love this. He's not refuting that Satan just quoted scripture. He says, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. For the third time, Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy. He says, yeah, Satan, I know that's what scriptures say, but that's not how it's meant to be said. The Bible also says you must not test the Lord your God. And see, Jesus, through his understanding of Scripture, through his understanding of God and his word, knew that Satan was twisting Scripture into a lie. And how did he do this? How did he know this? Years of seeking and being teachable. I love, there's an author, her name is Alicia Britt uh, Sholey, and she wrote this book called Anonymous. And in this book, she talks about the temptations and she offers this thought. She says, I feel that trials do not prepare us for what's to come as much as they reveal what we've done with our lives up to that point. Up to that point, they reveal what we've done. And Jesus had been preparing for the temptation of this caliber for his whole life. He hadn't been simply coasting through life on cruise control. He hadn't just been sitting idly by waiting and hoping that maybe he's going to be ready for this moment. He didn't coast. He was intentional. He put in the work to make sure he could discern and see through these temptations when they came his way. He spent time in God's word, reading, asking questions, learning. And now we come to the point where Satan has tried the three things that have worked on every other human being up until this point, And Satan's playbook is empty. And in verse 13, it says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Which we're going to talk about that. 
just a couple weeks. So how can we apply this? What do we learn about Jesus through Satan's interaction with him? Well, the first thing is this. Anyone can use scripture. Any one of you can open up God's word and use it. Jesus doesn't flaunt a master's degree. Jesus didn't exercise any demons in the story. He doesn't call down fire from heaven. He didn't call his pastor to come and quote scripture for him. God's word is available for all of us, not just for Leanne, not just for Tim, not just for Dan, not just for somebody that works at a church, not just for your life group leader, not just for somebody that went to a Christian college. God's word is available to each and every one of you to memorize, to equip yourself. Are you doing it, though? Are you putting in the work? Are you getting to know who God is, this story, who Jesus is? And if not, I want to give you just a couple tools this morning to help you better practice this in your life. And the first one is this, soap. Yes, you heard me right, soap. Okay, it's an acronym. And the the S stands for scripture. Scripture. Let's start simple. Just read a chapter in your Bible. You don't need to read the entire New Testament. You don't need to read the whole Old Testament. You don't even need to read a whole book of the Bible. Just open up your Bible and read a chapter. And as you read, write down a couple verses that stand out to you. Oh man, I love what Jesus said here. I love what we read here. I love how they're talking about grace. And you just write it down. So that's the S, Scripture. The O, Observation observation. What do you observe in scripture? Now that you've read it and you've written a couple things down, what are you observing? What are you seeing happen? How are people treating each other? How is Jesus interacting with these people? What are you observing? Write that down in your notebook too. And then we get to the A, application. How can you apply it to your life? Because here's the thing, you could read your Bible for 10 hours a day. This is what the Pharisees did. They knew the Bible front to back, but man, they did not live like it. You might read your Bible 10 hours a day. If you're not applying it to your life, it is meaningless. It's meaningless. James says this. He he talks about do not just be hearers of the word or readers of the word, be doers of the word. And if you are not, you're fooling yourself. Have to figure out how we can apply it to our life. And now we come to the P in soap. Write a prayer or pray that the Holy Spirit helps you to apply it. Pray. Pray. Read read the scripture. Observe what's going on. Uh, 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 apply it to your life and then come to the end and say, God, I, I just want to pray. Would you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you help me? Help me to live this out. I know that I want to choose what I want each and every day. Help me to live it out. So that's soap. All right, you ready for the next tool? This one's a little fancier. Lectio Divina. Yeah, that's real. And some of you right now, you're like, dang, that's what I want to, like somebody asks you reading your Bible and they're like, hey, what are you doing? You're like, I'm just Lectio Divina, you know, right? Lectio Divina. Now it might sound fancy, but it's actually pretty simple. Read, 
Okay, let's get back to this. This has to start with reading God's word. Read God's word. And then the next thing is meditate. Sit quietly and ask God, what do you want me to know about this? What do you want me to know? As I'm reading this chapter, what do you want me to know? Where, where, where can I get better? How is this connected to my life? The third thing, respond. Respond. So read, meditate, and then respond. Begin to bring God your honest concern, your honest thoughts. God, I, I know that you're asking me. I just read about how Jesus was, showed grace and forgave those that were, didn't really deserve to be forgiven. God, I'm really struggling with that. There's this coworker at work, and, and I just, I don't want to forgive them. You have no idea. Well, you do know what they did to me, but like, you know how hard it is for me to forgive, and I just need you to help me forgive. We're being, we're responding. We're, we're bringing our honest thoughts to God, and then the final point is this. Contemplate. Read meditate, respond, and then contemplate. And this is probably the hardest one for people because this is where you do the listening and stop talking. Turn off, make sure your phone is off, make sure you're free of distractions, and sit there and just be quiet and listen. It's hard to get to know someone or get to hear from someone if you're doing all the talking. Listen contemplate, rest in God's presence, enjoy God, abide in him. Now, I get that even with these tools, it still might be a little intimidating to open up your Bible. So one of the things we've done at Grace Church is if you go to that'sgrace.org slash Bible, right there, if you go to that link, we have hundreds of Bible reading plans on different topics this is a great place to start. If this morning you're like, yes, Brandon, Lectio Divina, soap, like that all sounds great, but where do I start? Right here. You start right here. That's grace.org slash Bible. Tons of resources. It's a great place to start. And if you don't want to do this, if I can't convince you to do this, I'm going to tell you this morning, just open up to the book of John or open up to the book of Luke and just start reading. Just start reading. Now, the next thing that we learn is anyone can be led by the Spirit. But there's a caveat. To do this, you have to surrender your life to Jesus first. And the reason that Jesus could not take the shortcut and accept all of those kingdoms when they were offered to him is because Jesus knew that somebody had to pay for all of the sins, all of the times we would choose to be disobedient to God and selfish towards others. Jesus knew somebody had to live the perfect life to pay for all of the sins that you and I will commit for the rest of our lives and have committed. And Jesus lived that perfect life. And so Jesus knew to take the punishment for our sins, he had to go to the cross. There was no shortcut. Somebody had to die. And instead of it having to be you or me, Jesus said, I will do this for them. The road is going to be really hard. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be hung up on a cross. But as that was happening to him, he was thinking of each and every one of you sitting in this room this morning. 
He did that so that you could, you could find eternal life, so that your relationship with God could be made right through his sacrifice. And all you have to do this morning is to turn from your sin, your selfishness, your disobedience, and say, God, I'm done trying to do it myself. I'm ready to be led by your spirit. I'm ready to let Jesus be the ruler of my life. And living a life surrendered to, the fo- to following the Spirit, it's not always going to bring you where you want to go. And it's going to be pretty hard. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, listen to this, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must turn from your selfish ways. Not you hold on to this thing. God, I, I, you can have everything, but I'm going to hold on to my career. God, you can have everything, but I'm going to hold on to my sex life. God, you can have everything, but I'm going to hold on to fi- my finances. God, you can have everything, but I'm going to hold on to this relationship because I really don't want to let it go because it would be uncomfortable for me. So you can have everything else. Jesus says, turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. And remember John 10.10. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. It's daily dying to yourself what you want and your desires and choosing what Jesus wants. It's allowing his Holy Spirit to lead you even when it leads you into the wilderness. And my final encouragement for you this morning is we have the power If we've chosen to follow Jesus, we have the power to overcome through Christ. Don't forget that the devil left Jesus. He tried to tempt him and it didn't work. And the devil left. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you want Satan to leave you alone, you must continually resist him. And so many are attacked because they resist so little. See, Satan's power, it pales in comparison to the power that now lives in those of you in this room that have chosen to follow Jesus. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power, the same power that lives in you. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that Jesus used to overcome the temptations of the devil, the same power that rose Jesus to conquer death, that same power now lives in you. But will you use it? That's up to you. The devil vastly underestimated his opponent, Jesus. And today I pray that as you are tempted with the lust of the eyes, with the lust of the flesh, and and through pride, that you refuse to, to settle for these cheap offerings, these shortcuts. And instead, remember that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead now lives within you. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to resist. It's really hard. It's really hard. 
And God, we're not going to get it right every time. There may even be, God, I pray right now, there may be people in this, in this room right now that this morning, they fell to one of these temptations. They, they chose Jesus or Satan. They, they chose to what they wanted. And God, I, I pray right now that you would just convict, but also remind them that they're loved. God, we're going to make tons of mistakes in our life. That doesn't mean you love us anymore. We're still your kids. God, I pray for those in this room right now that can't be led by the Spirit because right now they're choosing to be led by themselves. They haven't surrendered their lives to you. God, I pray that right now that you would work in their hearts, that you would show them, listen, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but through Jesus, you can have a rich and satisfying life, but you have to take up your cross. You have to turn from your selfish ways. God, these temptations are going to come our way, but I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for the example he gives us. God, I thank you for how he shows us we can overcome these things. God, that we are now more than conquerors. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead now lives within us. God, we thank you for who you are, for how you love us, God, for how you sent Jesus to die for us in our place so that we might be made right with you in Jesus' name. Amen.